0: Sifter. For the ear. News. Interviews. Reviews.
1: Cinema. TV. Streaming. Action. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. Movie Land is once again hosting its Summer Kids series through August 31st, featuring a different family classic every Wednesday at 11 a.m. All tickets are only a dollar.
2: My actual first day was at The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. I worked down there for a little while, and then... I met the supervisor for SNL and just as luck would have it, they had hired some new cast members and some other dressers had left and there was an opening. And so he asked me if I wanted to stay on and start dressing Bo and Yang for his first season as a cast member. And I said, I'll think about it. That was Chris Leary, a Norfolk native who attended VCU in theater before heading to New York, where he
1: eventually landed a job as a dresser on Hamilton, then on Saturday Night Live. We talk about both gigs, including Juicy Stories, his crazy schedule, his drag persona, Tequila Mockingbird, and so much more. Sifter Review of the Week Hustle on Netflix. Adam Sandler plays the scout for the Philadelphia 76ers, who finds one last phenom in Spain and sets out to get him into the NBA. Sandler turns in a commendable performance and even manages to deliver the occasional funny line without resorting to his typical man-boy delivery. As his discovery, Juancho Hernan Gomez brings warmth to the character and their relationship while displaying some impressive moves. He's actually a professional. Speaking of, the movie is crammed with cameos from basketball stars and coaches. Even though I didn't recognize most of them, I was still able to enjoy the movie. A few less minutes of ball footage would have been fine. I gave it three out of five stars
2: tequila mockingbird <laughs> that's right it's literature and a famous drag queen in certain circles across select cities in the united states of america
1: at this point in new york city correct yep i've been there for about uh 12
2: years now actually oh my
1: lord i didn't realize that uh, actually your real name is chris leary as i said in the introduction so
2: how did you get into costume design? I have to say that it started with my mom when I was probably about 11 years old. She had a singer. And I don't mean a performer. She, she had one of those too, but uh, <laughs> she had an old singer sewing machine and right. had an interest in learning how to sew. And so she taught me how to sew. And I remember she gave me this old shirt that she was donating. And I, I don't know what possessed me, but I, I cut it up and... Added all kinds of stuff to it. And I think I put a cape on it. And it was like... Great. You didn't bedazzle it. Or did you bedazzle it? I didn't have the technology to bedazzle back then. But trust and believe that at this point, if I had access to rhinestones back then, it would have been... Right, right,
1: right. Great.
2: Yeah. I uh, always did all the costumes for my productions in high school. And... Where was that? Uh, in Hampton, Virginia, in Kickatan High School. Okay. So you were raised in Hampton? I am. Yeah, Born and raised in Hampton, okay. Virginia. So then I went to school at VCU for Performing Arts. I got a BFA in acting. And while I was there, Carl Green, who was my supervisor, was also the head of the costume department. Really just kind of recognized that I also had a passion for costumes and was so wonderful and gave me all kinds of stuff to work on in the shows there. Right. And I just loved it. And it was kind of always like a dual passion along with performing and acting. It was like just another thing that I was really interested in. Oh, so you did that, too. I did both, yeah. Well, obviously, was... if you were doing the drag, but I mean, you weren't doing drag when you were in high school. No, no, that didn't start until I think like 2010. I think, I think Tequila Mockingbird's birthday is March 25th, 2010. So, oh, great, great. <laughs> Surprise
0: guest drop in. Hello, Carl. Hey.
1: Oh my God. <laughs> footnote carl green is a freelance designer and technician for musical theater dance and fashion he recently retired from elon university as an assistant professor and costume designer and before that he held the same positions at vcu from 1998
0: to 2010 how are
2: you i'm so good how are you
0: i'm good it's been a few days since i've seen you a couple days
1: yeah so he literally he was just talking about what an influence you had on him so
0: how would you put that Carl? i don't know i think it was already there but chris you were an acting student right
2: yeah remember
0: first year and um smoky joe's cafe
2: those smoking jackets those gold Lemay smoking jackets i will never forget oh wow
1: yeah. i mean you were each making a jacket is that what you mean
2: yeah and i was designing the show in freshman year of the costuming department there, even for actors, everyone kind of pitches in and does little things here and there. And for most of us, it was like, all right, you can hem the skirt or, you know, you can sew these buttons on. And then Carl, who recognized that I had such a passion for costume, was like, okay, well, you're going to be building, you know, a welted pocket, shawl collar smoking. (laughs) Oh, it was in
0: LeMay, which is one of the hardest fabrics to work with. And when you iron it, it shrinks. Oh, wow. I
2: don't know if you remember that. Oh, I remember that. I remember melting a few of those pieces as well. So it was something I was always so grateful for because you know it was just such an such an amount of trust that something that was going on the main stage for a freshman to be putting together. It was. I just. I was like, oh my god, are you sure me? Like you want me to do it? <laughs> I knew you could do it. That's why I picked you. Did you design shows or did you just build? I was just building and kind of was just always around. Like I was building costumes for Dracula, those like crazy leather corsets with the silk pantaloons and all of that.
0: Remember during Dracula, one of the actors um,
2: went to jail.
0: Really? (laughs) Wow. God, i oh uh, oh of course
1: i remember that i actually saw that i reviewed that i do remember that
0: yeah and but, the, and the person who went to jail was completely different in size than the person who went on in that person's plays yes yeah so that was a
2: little emergency i guess it turns out that was like the the first of many in my career throughout the years and One thing I don't think that they tell you is whether you're doing community theater or Saturday Night Live, like it's all the same. It is all the same. (laughs) The same thing happened. You have to have the same creative solutions. And they're all just stories for the rest of the time that you're in the industry, you know? Well, speaking of the industry, I think Carl had something to do with that, didn't he? Well, quite a bit. I mean, he
0: you wrote my letter of recommendation for the union. I was working at Elon, and Chris contacted me and asked me to do a recommendation. And it was really easy. I just told the truth. I said, he can do everything. And I said, if he doesn't know how to do it, he's smart enough to figure it out. He's great with people. He makes everyone feel comfortable. He has amazing work ethic. You know, I can't say enough good things about him.
2: And to this day, one of the best letters of recommendation I've ever received. Well, And it
1: worked, obviously, because you're still there. You're still doing it. So, Right.
2: Yeah, and it was it was really helpful because at the time I kind of was like, oh, well, I'm just going to be this person who's not from here, who's never worked here, trying to join, like, the local costume union. How Like, how the hell are they going to take me seriously? Um, and so that's one of the things, joining with a resume of basically zero, that right. letter of recommendation from somebody like Carl really went a long way.
1: Carl, anything else you want to say before we
0: uh, let you back
1: to your Sunday?
0: No, I'm just – I'm really proud of you, Chris. and. I guess I get emotional, but I'm really happy for you. And um, I'm glad that you're following your heart and doing what you're meant to do. You're very lucky because those of us who do what we love to do, there aren't many of us.
2: Yeah, That's true. I agree. This was such a wonderful surprise. I can't believe that you're my special guest. I love it. Well, I'll come see you in New York. It was good to talk to you, Carl. Let's chat again in real life. Okay. All right. Bye, Bye. 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 It's kind of ironic that he hit
1: right when you were talking about VCU. So one other question I did have about VCU. Is there one thing that he taught you overall that you would say is kind of sticks out in your mind is, I still hear this when I go apply for a job or when I go to do this or when this goes wrong? One thing that Carl
2: used to always say is like, life is too short to wear boring clothes. Yeah, great. And I do think about that a lot because he was always such like, so so put together in such a unique sense of style. And it was kind of this freeing concept of like, yeah, you know, to work in this industry, like you do kind of have to have a signature style or like, you know, you have to kind of stand out a little bit. And so he definitely encouraged me just personally to be like, oh, I mean, who says that I can't wear this? I want to, so I'm going to. I I know we joked about those LeMay smoking jackets, but really like to this day, that's probably in the 15 or so years I've been working professionally, that's probably one of the most difficult things I've ever made. And I was a freshman in college and had no idea what I was doing, you know? Speaking of college,
1: now you said you were a performance major. When did the the theater performance bug hit you?
2: (laughs) I don't know, childbirth? (laughs) Yeah, right, right. I came out just like belting a high G, like, oh! that's hilarious I, I come from like a family of kind of natural performers you know my dad is such an animated like weirdo just like I have turned out to be and my mom like in high school she was always involved in like the plays and everything my grandmother on my mom's side was a, a singer in my great-grandfather's band when she was growing up Wow. Well. Um, my other grandmother is like a fantastic seamstress and so uh, like my sister was a dancer and a performer, so we there's always just kind of been in our our DNA. I think, obviously, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was. I kind of like didn't have a choice, you know. It's
1: yeah, like, right, right, right. When well, now tell me this, you don't really want to be a costume designer. You only want to build. Is that correct?
2: It's an interesting question. I kind of I feel like I I do a little bit of everything. Being a costume designer professionally, like full time, is a pretty challenging career. It's much more freelance based than what I do now. And it's kind of in most instances, it'll be like, here's your budget. Here's your fee. As soon as the show is open, like you're moving on to the next project. Right, right. It's much easier, I think, to freelance as a tailor or a dresser. You can drop in and day play, you know, for a day on a film, a day on a TV show. And really what I'm doing at Saturday Night Live is kind of a really great mix of both because... We do have costume designers there that most definitely have the vision and steer the ship and give the directives and all that. But a lot of time, there's just not time to dictate. So it'll be, you know, here's a picture of a Disney princess. Here's four bags of fabric. Just make it look like the picture. Right, right, right. And a lot of that does really come down to kind of self-governing design work. I think that in general, I have a lot more fun building costumes, which is sort of why As my Tequila Mockingbird Enterprise, it sort of uh, runs the gamut because I'm designing my own clothes and I'm building them. And then once I have the uniform on, then I go out and tell dirty jokes on the microphone for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Great. That's perfect.
1: That's perfect. So... After you got out of VCU, what was your career trajectory? How'd
2: you get from VCU to New York? After I graduated college, I was in Richmond. And I like I just love Richmond. I think it's one of the greatest cities in the world. I was kind of thriving. I had a job. I had a regular drag show. I had an apartment. I had all my friends. And it was, it was really kind of perfect. And I remember just thinking to myself at one point, I'm 22 years old. And I could definitely see myself doing this for the next, you know, two decades, which is fine. But I just thought to myself, like, if I don't try something hard and terrifying and potentially catastrophic now. Right, right. You no, know, I'm such a risk averse person. I I honestly don't even know what possessed me to do it. I think now, if somebody said, Oh, like, do you want to pick up and move to a new city? I'd be like, oh, Okay, so you've lost your mind. I see. Right, right. I was in the ensemble of uh, White Christmas at Virginia rep. Uh, which at the time was still the Barksdale Theater. But two of the leads in the show were from New York City and they had come down to do the show. And we spent a lot of time getting to know each other. And I think it was really in talking to them about like just what it's like kind of living in the city as a performer. And it all sounded so like horrible and amazing. I was going to say
1: terrifying,
2: yeah. It was like, none of the stories were good. It was all kind of like, here's all the reasons why you shouldn't. I was like, great, that sounds perfect. Sign me up. So that January, one of the girls that was in the show, she had a friend who was looking for someone to sublet his room. And so I really just kind of packed up my stuff. And my mom drove <laughs> me up in her car through a blizzard to get there. And great. And in like four feet of snow, and was just like, what the absolute fresh hell have I gotten this? <laughs> Then I was there and I was, I kind of just said to myself, you know, I'm going to give it, I feel like two years is a good gauge for like, I know that there's going to be times when I hate it and I want to leave. And there definitely were those times that I was, you know, calling my sister in tears being like, what did I do? Why do I live? There? You know, you like see a rat carrying the dead body of another rat down a flight of stairs with you. And you're like, oh, great. So I was in like a nightmare factory. Cool. <laughs> then after two years, I was like, all right, I'm going to give it five years. And after five years, I was like, I'm going to give it 10 years. And then, you know, here we are 12 years later. And I'm like, "Okay, well, I guess I'm just accidentally a New Yorker now. Were you just doing freelance day jobs most of that time until Hamilton? Had every job you could possibly imagine. I was a personal assistant for this like rich old woman on the Upper East Side who was like the kind of rich that you have so much money, you just kind of become British. I don't know if you've ever encountered.
1: <laughs> Madonna did that for
2: a while. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Correct. Yeah, it was a very similar vibe. They probably have the same surgeon. Who knows? <laughs> I worked for her for a long time. I was like catering dinner parties and watching her ailing dog who just had like these white milky eyes and wore a diaper. And every time she left town, I was like, okay, this is Definitely it. Like, this is the time the dog dies while I'm here and I'm fired. Of course. For all I know, the dog is still alive. I sold t-shirts for a merchandise company at Broadway shows. I, I worked for Sotheby's. I used to do their jewelry exhibitions where I would pretend that I knew what the hell I was talking about for like
1: <laughs> weeks every
2: four months and, you know, cater to all the rich people that would come in and be like, oh, yes, this emerald necklace. You just have to have it. It's only $80,000. There must be something wrong with it catered for a catering company. I mean, you name it, I did it. I was like, great, a job. I'll take it. (laughs) Sure. So how did you get on Hamilton? So one of the many millions of things that I did was I started freelancing doing hair and makeup for headshots and things. It was kind of a skill that I had from doing drag. It was like, oh, it turns out this is actually the exact same thing just, you know, for a real person. So I had done hair and makeup for a friend of a friend for the Tonys, whatever year that was, I think it was 2014. And she, the next year ended up becoming the assistant company manager for Hamilton. But so all it took was um, Caitlin, whose hair and makeup I had done for the Tonys the year before, I reached out to her and was just like, hey, just wanted to let you know, I like put my resume at Hamilton. And so she literally went downstairs to the wardrobe room and said to the supervisor, hey, my friend Chris submitted the resume. He's not a crazy person. I mean, she was she was lying. But uh.
1: <laughs> how early into Hamilton was this?
2: This was at the very beginning. So the show opened in August of 2015, and this was the very beginning of November.
1: That's when we saw it. We actually saw it before the Tonys.
2: Oh yeah, no, that's when it. Honestly, that was when I still would come home for family gatherings and oh, what are you working on now? Like oh, well, it's a, it's a hip hop retelling of American history, and then everyone say oh, okay, like so, do you have something else lined up? You know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was your job on Hamilton and how long did you do it?
2: I don't know how to count the pandemic years, but I started in 2015 and I officially left September in 2021. So I say six years minus whatever gap we were all All off. But I was a dresser there. I dressed the women's ensemble. And I also was a swing in-house, so I covered all of the other tracks. I was the first cover for the Principal Women track, uh, everything in between that anyone could possibly ever need. I was just sort of the go-to person for like, hey, we need someone to do laundry on Thursday. Okay, like, I'll do it, you know? (laughs) So
1: when you were on Hamilton, what was the most interesting challenge or surprise or mishap that
2: happened while you were working on the show? (laughs) The actor who was playing Eliza, towards the end of the show, spoiler alert, when her son gets shot and dies dies <laughs> oh my god but don't if you haven't seen it don't listen we'll edit that for the west coast right. um there's this scene where she's supposed to run onto the stage in this big dramatic like oh my son like and she's supposed to be in this black floor-length morning coat you know everyone on stage is dressed entirely in black and the stage itself is rotating so his body is on a table and the way it's choreographed is she's supposed to run on at the point when the table is getting close so that she meets up with Hamilton and the son. And then they kind of ride the turntable in a circle. Right. You know, oh, he's dead. And then she cries and there's a whole dramatic scene. This particular actor had a, uh, a propensity for kind of, you know, meandering down the halls and, you know, sitting down to talk to people. And so she was in another outfit, another dress and heard the song start. And we heard all this emotion downstairs and I'm the one that's supposed to put the black coat on her. So I'm like standing there waiting and waiting and waiting and closer and closer and closer. And I was like, all right, now she's starting to make me nervous. So they page her and it's like, we're talking, we're seconds away from when she's supposed to be making this entrance. And there is literally no way to cover it because nobody else on stage is talking, no one else is singing. So here she goes running up the stairs in her next costume change, which is like a floor-length teal velvet gown. Good grief. She has no shoes on. She's missed the turn for the turntable. Oh, so no. Running on stage with her stocking feet in this like teal robe <laughs> and then has to run across a moving turntable. And then she just had to stand there for the whole rest of the song in this like weird pajama outfit. And then of course she goes off stage and she comes on stage for the next scene which is supposed to be 10 years later right right same outfit Um, (laughs) well she was poor then she couldn't afford a new dress I said I just said it was like you know she was in such a state of mourning that she just hadn't changed her clothes since the night (laughs) I said that to her right before she walked out on stage and she walked out on stage laughing because she couldn't hold it together well she certainly pulled focus in that teal dress Oh, she everybody- sure did. I mean, it was, it was the best. And so, like I said, from time to time, I will just text her and be like, happy Tuesday. Just thinking about that time that you missed your entrance and did an entire song with no shoes on, like on Broadway. Oh, some of your Insta pictures, did you get to go to the Tonys for Hamilton? That was such an insane day. I think, I don't think people realize when you're on a show that's doing the Tonys, it is truly an all day affair because you still have a show. So most of the time for wardrobe, your call time is like five or six o'clock in the morning on Sunday this is after you've done seven shows. So at Hamilton, the show would come down at like 11 o'clock at night. And then I would stay to do the post-show laundry for like another hour. So I'm leaving at midnight, going home. And then I'm back at like six o'clock in the morning the next day. We all got on a giant charter bus and went up to the Beacon Theater to do like a tech rehearsal, dress rehearsal. So we basically do our entire Tony's performance in a set of costumes and then come back to the theater Everything has to be washed and turned over for the actual matinee that takes place at three o'clock. Wow. I remember going up and taking a nap in one of the boxes in the theater. I, and I actually remember having this moment where I was just like the theater was completely dark. It was just a ghost light on stage. I really just like took a second to kind of drink all of that in and then chugged a Red Bull and then we went and did the <laughs> matinee, good old red bull as soon as the matinee comes down you have to get completely like redressed and made up into glam squad because all the girls had their hair done because pretty much everyone was nominated in the show. and then each of us was assigned to an actor so i was working with chris jackson he and i were really good friends at the time and he played george washington he was wonderful <laughs> i say we we're really good friends at the time we're still good friends i didn't mean that to stop <laughs> <laughs> big falling out alert page six But I was kind of assigned to be with him to get him into his red carpet tux, back into his George Washington stuff, back into his red carpet things, because all the nominees had to be seated. So the Tonys are really kind of this very crazy, like, reunion of all the shows, you know, the buses pull up into these big tents, and then all of the shows and their ensembles are lined up. In the breezeway and everyone gets to see each other and it's just this huge like love fest and then you know you go on you perform you do your thing and then we were really lucky because our company managers had the foresight
1: maybe because they knew we were going to take home a few of those little I was going to say yeah they probably figured it was going to be a uh,
2: but you they had blocked off a bunch of hotel rooms at the hotel above the beacon theater so we were very lucky everyone else had to stay on the bus but our whole company got to have the luxury of going up to the hotel rooms and you know the men's ensemble was in one room the women's was another there was like and they had trays of like Food And we were watching the Tonys on the live feed upstairs. So we're in these rooms, just like half dressed in costume, watching all of our colleagues like win one thing after the other. And it was just the coolest thing. And so then after them, once all that was done, the award ceremony was done at like midnight. We had to go back to the theater to start washing all the clothes because then that was two sets of clothing that had been worn that day, and then all of us got ready into our our Sunday. Bed. I was just
1: say, what were you wearing?
2: <laughs> I, I had a beautiful um, Dolce and Gabbana gold jacket that was on loan from a friend of mine, <laughs> and we went. It was the first time Tavern on the Green had been reopened. It had closed before, and it was the first reopening. It was it was to this day probably the best after party for anything I've ever been to. Quest Love was DJing and it was just like the happiest, most joyous night I've ever had. And we partied until the sun came up. And when the sun was rising, they started playing, you know, morning music and we had mimosas and little French toast bites. And it was just, I remember leaving that with my friend who was my date and it was like, maybe seven o'clock in the morning. And we're heading across the Queensboro Bridge back to Queens to go home. And everyone is, you know, in their work clothes and we're all in, you know. Got your fancy like
1: duds on. And then you got your first movie gig. Tell us
2: about it. From Hamilton, I got my first job doing a movie, which, of course, in true, like, you know, good luck fashion turned out to be a Spielberg film. So. Right, <laughs> right. West Side Story. Correct. Because Paul Taswell, who designed Hamilton, was the designer for West Side Story. And so I kind of said, I was like, you know, I've been at Hamilton now for at the time like four years and it's great and I love it. But I want to see what film and television is like because I've never done it before and I have no idea if I even like it or want to do it. So I reached out to Paul, who gave my name to the supervisor and then ended up doing that entire film that summer. Um, And from there is actually how I got my job at Saturday Night Live. So it's it's pretty much all just, you know, work somewhere, meet somebody, go to the next thing, you know.
1: So how did you get the job on Saturday Night Live? You didn't just apply to a page. Hi, here's my resume, Mr. Page. No, I just, I made a phone call to Daddy Lauren and just said, hey, I'm looking for a job. Here you go, Mr. Michael.
2: My, my friend, Ray Kylie, who is the assistant supervisor, he was working on West Side Story as well. And he and I just kind of hit it off. We became really good friends. And he had said to me, you know, hey, like, I, I think you'd be a good fit for us at SNL. I'm going to just pass your name along and get you some days working at NBC so that you're kind of in the system. Uh, when you work for any of the NBC shows that are at 30 Rock, you kind of work for the, the network and not so much the, each individual show. Right. My actual first day was at the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. I worked down there for a little while and then I met the supervisor for SNL and started doing some work in the summer, like some pre-production kind of stuff. Just as luck would have it, they had hired some new cast members and some other dressers had left. There was kind of some switching of the guards and there was an opening. And so he asked me if I wanted to stay on and start dressing Bo and Yang for his first season as a cast member. And I said, I'll think about it. Uh,
1: well, <laughs> well, of course, he was not Bowen Yang yet. I mean, you know, yeah. he wasn't the Bowen Yang we know now.
2: That was a it was a really challenging year because I was still working on Broadway as well. So my supervisor, who was just the nicest man on the planet, I you know, there's a theme here, it turns out. <laughs> Becoming successful in your career does not happen alone. You're always surrounded by people who are incredibly supportive and want to give you the opportunities to further yourself in your career. And Scotty Westervelt, my supervisor at Hamilton, had always said to me, you know, you're only going to be a better person employee dresser what, whatever if you have the chance to do other things and you know he said the show's not going anywhere hamilton will always be here which is true and you still do go back and do days on that don't you Sam? Do. yeah yeah i'm actually subbing there next week which is going to be great but it's he he was he was really wonderful about giving me the opportunity to go do other things uh during whatever the production schedule was at snl i was filling in all of the days off with work back at hamilton so i would do like three or four weeks of production at SNL and then have a Monday off and then go into eight shows a week at Hamilton. And so it was kind of this very unsustainable- I was <laughs> like
1: Insane would be the word I was thinking.
2: Correct. And to be honest, I mean, if it hadn't been for COVID, who knows, I might still be trying to do that to myself. But COVID was the whole thing that kind of told me. I was like, oh yeah, you can actually, you're allowed to step away and take a break. You don't have to fill every single waking moment with the needle and thread in your hand. Uh, well, so how, how was working with Bowen? Oh, it's wonderful. He's wonderful. We had such a great relationship because he and I were both starting at the same time. He had been a writer on the show. So he kind of understood the mechanism that was SNL, but he'd never been a cast member before. And I obviously had never addressed anybody on that show. And that's, it's a very interesting place to work because you really do have a blend of the television side and the live theater side. It was sort of a, oh, all, all the skills that I have cultivated at this point are now kind of coming to a head. He and I hit it off right away. We have a wonderful working relationship. We have our, like, let's sit in the dressing room and drink Red Bulls and (laughs) complain about things in the world. Right.
1: You know, Chris was so much fun and had so many great stories that I've created two shows featuring him. This was just the beginning of his stories about working at Saturday Night Live. We'll continue the interview getting deeper into SNL, his drag persona, Tequila Mockingbird, and his take on the new RuPaul series. All that will be next week. They're pics of Chris in drag and more on the webpage at tvjerry.com. Coming soon in theaters. Minions: The Rise of Gru, the latest animation from the Minions world. The Forgiven, Rafe Fiennes and Jessica Chastain star as a wealthy London couple who are involved in a tragic accident. Official Competition, Penelope Cruz and Antonio Banderas star as two egocentric actors who are brought together to star in a movie. Mr. Malcolm's List, this will surely be called Bridgerton on the big screen because it sure looks like that show. TV and streaming. The final two episodes from this season of Stranger Things on Netflix and they'll run almost four hours. The Terminal List on Amazon stars Chris Pratt as a Navy SEAL on a one man mission. The Princess on Hulu, Joey King plays a medieval princess who fights her way out of an arranged marriage. Would It Kill You to Laugh? on Peacock, John Early, and Kate Berlant star in this sketch comedy series. This is Jerry Williams. Thanks for listening. For more Sister, including literally thousands Thousands of reviews, reviews, visit tvjerry.com. That's a wrap.